Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Just give Jesus a big clap off from wherever you're at. We honor you, Lord. I just want to say it's such an honor for me to be here with you. I mentioned this in the first service that uh, I, I believe that the Lord orders our steps. Amen. And uh, this was not a, a very like uh, planned with, uh, with a lot of notice. And so this even this morning, I was in prayer. And I said, Lord, what, what am I doing here in Manhattan? And because uh, 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 it, it came in last minute. And I, I'm so thankful for your pastors for uh, uh, allowing me to be sharing the word tonight, uh, this morning with you. But I know the Lord has a plan. And, and I'm in this journey trying to figure out well, what am I doing here? And so I'm just going to be faithful with what God's doing. Is that okay? Yes. And, and so I, I want to share the same thing that I shared in the first service. But uh, as you can tell, my name is Hayashi. My last name is Japanese. My grandparents, uh, you're Japanese. Okay. So, so my grandparents uh, moved from, uh, from Japan to Brazil uh, to be missionaries for the Japanese uh, immigrants in Brazil. So outside Japan, the biggest concentration of Japanese people is actually in Brazil. And just in my city alone, 300,000 Japanese people or 300,000 Japanese Brazilians. And so uh, my whole life, I grew up in a Japanese church. And uh, my grandparents planted uh, Free Methodist Japanese uh, Brazilian churches. And my uh, mother, one out of nine kids, uh, at the time was the only single one. And uh, the Free Methodist denomination said, hey, we want to, you know, honor uh your your father for for what he's done and my father like a good japanese man said i've done nothing but my obligation and he refused the the award so these guys came all the way from america to give him an award he's like no this is just my obligation i said yes to jesus is what i do and so they said any of the kids here want an award my mom said i'll I'll take it (laughs) so so she's been i mean she i guess she was brazilian uh (laughs) Not Japanese, I'll take it. And so uh, they said, "How?" What? she says, you know what, this, maybe this is how you can help me. I've heard you have uh, free Methodist universities in America. I'm looking to get my master's in theology, but I don't have money. If you can give me a full ride, I'll go. And so they said, you, we'll give you a ride, a full ride. So she went to Azusa Pacific University. This is in the, in the early 70s. And so she was, we grew up hearing these stories, right? And so she told uh, I remember her telling us, you know, her, her best friend, a Korean-American uh, girl, said, you have to come with me to this um, meeting outside the campus, and it's a, it's a woman leading it. She's like, women preach? She's like, yeah, women preach. You, you'll, you'll hear this, this lady, she's very powerful, and it was Catherine Coleman. And uh, so for the first time in her life, she said she actually sat on the balcony back there, Anaheim Convention Center, and um, the choir came out, Catherine Coleman came out, and uh, crazy story. I think you'll appreciate this. Crazy story. <laughs> and, I, and there's a reason why I say that. Because um, I was talking to Andy's dad, Vern, and we found out that his belated wife, Andy's mother, Andy Bird's uh, one of the leaders that I work with at YWAM, his mother was singing in the choir that same day that my mom was in the balcony. And for the first time in in my mom's life, she experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So anyways, long story short, well, we found out. We're like, this is nuts. I said, Vern, no way. He's like, yeah, what year was it? I gave him the year. It's like, well, Catherine Coleman would, would go only once a year to this specific convention center. So I'm like, and I'm like calling back home. I'm like, mom, confirm, is that, it was that year. So anyways, so our mothers were in the same building. This is in the early 70s. And uh, being wrecked by the Holy Spirit at the same time, right? Little did we know that decades later, we'd be working together for the kingdom. But uh, it's so God, right? It's something only God would do. And uh, so, so basically, I go to, uh, well, where was I? Okay, so my, my mother comes back and uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then my uh, grandparents have to sit her down and say, listen, what you experienced was of the Lord. This is God. But uh, our, our denomination doesn't allow for that. So we're going to bless you and kick you out of this church. <laughs> <laughs> And, and they said, you have to start something that the Lord, the Holy Spirit is leading you. And so she, my, my mother began uh, as a single woman. Uh, and later on, my, my dad showed up at the church. Uh, but she began as a single lady, like uh, the church that I now, my wife, Junie, and I, we pastor, uh, Zion Church out of Sao Paulo. And uh, so anyway, so I grew up in, in the midst of a spirit-filled environment. And, and uh, as a pastor's kid, as, you know, a, um, somebody that grew up around ministry and church. And, and, uh, but my big dream as a kid in Brazil, like every Brazilian boy, is to be a soccer player. And, you know, so like we want to be soccer players. That's what, you know, that's, that's what you do if you're born in Brazil. So I, I always thought that I was good enough. <laughs> and so I would try out and never go and make it into these, you know, pro clubs under leagues. And so, and then I found out that I wasn't good enough, but I was good enough to play in America. So, <laughs> so, so when I was in my senior, senior year in high school, this coach from America came through our, our, uh, one of our games and, and told me and my best buddy. He said, hey, you guys could actually get a free education uh, in a university in America and play soccer. I'm like, that's the best. Let's do that. And so... <laughs> So one of my best friends went out to Florida, and I went out to middle of, you know, the boonies in Pennsylvania for this small private Christian school. And, um, and then when I got there, it, it was like a Christian school. And then I found out that uh, uh, Christian young people still party in America. And so I, I'm like, wow, this is, what, this is what Christian young people do in America. So the worship leader was there in the party, you know. The Bible said, so make a long story short, uh, it's kind of sad. We, you kind of have to laugh so you don't cry. Um, so I had drifted away from my faith for two years, right? I, I was like, and then my, my buddy that played high school soccer with me and was actually playing in the University of Tampa, he called me up. He says, hey, why don't you, you and your, your boys, come down for spring break and let's party. Go crazy. You, all my frat boys will be going out. And so we did what, you know, college kids that don't know Jesus do. And so we did. So we went out there in uh, spring break and going crazy, Ybor City, five, you know, and I knew I was away from the Lord. And, and, and I would talk to my mom every week on the phone and my sister and my sister would, would tell me, mom is praying and fasting that you come back. And uh, it, it's, I don't know if you ever had that experience, but <laughs> if you grow up, if you grow up in a God-fearing home with a God-fearing lady like my mother, you can't even sin right. I'd be going out to clubs trying to sin. And I'm like, I, I'm not even good at this. <laughs> right? It's like, 
You're trying to have pleasure in sin, and you can't because you got this thing like, oh, you're away from the, from the ways of God. My mom would come when I was like a young 12-year-old, 13, 14-year-old. My mom would come from church meetings, and I'd be asleep, and she would sneak in my room. She'd lay hands on my head, and this is what she'd pray. She would pray, I declare in the name of Jesus, you will never find pleasure away from the will of God. <laughs> Bro. Even if I tried, I was like, man, I just want to sin like my buddies do. Uh, it wasn't fun. It was miserable because you're riding the fence the whole time, and that's what I did for two years. You know, and so there I was in the club, spring break, and uh, just going crazy, trying to sin. And, um, and I remember that nobody preached at me, nobody laid hands on me, nobody, you know, nobody, you know, was saying or prophesying over me. I just had a supernatural encounter with the Lord in the middle of the dance floor. I sobered up immediately. I sobered up immediately. And I mean, I'm talking like spring break. Everybody, everybody going crazy. And now I'm, I'm weeping like I would at the altar when I was a kid. And I'm coming under conviction of my sin. And I'm looking at myself like, this is pathetic. Look at you. <laughs> right? I mean, what are you doing? And now I was ashamed of the place that I was in. I was ashamed of everything that was going around me and how I was a part of that. And I ran to the bathroom in that club. I ran to the bathroom, found an empty stall, closed the door, and sat there to, to cry. And I, I was weeping. I said, Lord, I hear you're calling me back. And uh, that day in that bathroom inside that club in Ybor City, Florida, I, I said, I reconciled back to my calling. I reconcile in relationship with you, and I, and I repent of my sins. And, Father, I, and from now on, it'll be, I'm going to be hot, passionate, fiery for you. No more lukewarmness, no more, none of that. And so I, I remember that I, I, I washed my face, and, and I, I prayed this quick prayer. I felt the Lord say, you're living mediocre. You're living below what I've created you to live. I said, Lord, so if I'm going to live for you, I want to live what I read in the book of Acts. Because, see, I grew up, like, around, you know, the move of the Spirit. And I remember when I was a kid, this, uh, my uncle came by and says, why don't you come? We're going to this healing, this, this revival meeting at this big arena in Sao Paulo called Ibirapuera, which is, like, a, like kind of, like, similar to, like, an NBA arena. And uh, he says, there's a man of God speaking. His name is Carlos Anacondia. And he says, uh, you will see. God move, right? And so I'm six years old, and for the first time in my life, I saw people actually walking out of wheelchairs. And at the end of the meeting, towards the side of the stage, a pile of wheelchairs. I would see people uh, push their friends in the wheelchair. They get prayed for. They get up, and then they just chuck the wheelchair on that pile. And I saw that the whole night. And I, I leaned over to my uncle and said, hey, Uncle, if, if ever I do ministry, I want to do this kind of stuff. This is fun. <laughs> Uncle, this is fun. Right? And so that's what I prayed in that club. I said, Lord, if I'm going to live for you, I want to live the book of Acts. And uh, so long story short, the Lord really took me uh, through, you know, just through ministry, doing missions, and later on connected me to uh, my spiritual father who's out in North Carolina. And uh, so I'm going to fast forward my... my um, my, my story here a little bit, but uh, all that to say that I came to a point where um, things were finally, as people were saying, you're fulfilling God's promises over your life, and, and things looked amazing, and I remember uh, just talking to my spiritual father and him talking about 
the possibility of me taking over the church in North Carolina that I've been serving on staff for five years. I was one of the, uh, the, uh, the ministers on staff there with him and, and traveling and, and just being exposed to the supernatural, the prophetic, and uh, just, uh, just, you know, burning for revival on the campuses over where we're next to Duke, next to Carolina Chapel Hill and NC State. So I was right there and just seeing young people come to, uh, to encounter the Lord in powerful ways. And, and now I'm praying to see if I'm to take over this church. You know, I'm 27, 28 years old. And I felt the Lord say, you have to lay down Isaacs on the altar. And whenever you hear that, that's never good. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I'm serving you. Why would I lay anything down? I'm serving you. And I felt the Lord say, no, I, I want Isaacs on the altar. And um, I said, Isaacs, that's more than one. That's plural. <laughs> And, and, uh, and the Lord just went down the list. First, you're not to take over this church. I'm like, Lord, I'm not to take over this church. I mean, my spiritual father kind of discipled me for the last five years. I've been shadowing him literally across the nations, miracle crusades, prophetic conferences to get ready for this moment. You're telling me not to take over this church? And the Lord says, you're not to take over this church. I'm like, Lord, you need to give me grace to communicate this to him. He's got expectations. Uh, so second Isaac, he said, uh, um, your studies, you know, I had, I had stopped school after I had that encounter with the Lord, but then later on I went back. I was living in North Carolina, going to a school in, in, in Virginia, crossing state lines, and, and the Lord says, uh, your MDiv degree that you're doing at the seminary in Virginia, he says, uh, you're, you're, you're learning so much, and your mind is like, you're, 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 your head is big, but your heart, your heart is cold. So you stop, and you're not ready for this. You'll eventually come back, which I did later on go back, but... Right now, you stop. And I said, Lord, if I stop, I, I'll miss out on the scholarship they gave me. And this is expensive, you know. And the Lord says, just lay down. So I said, okay, second Isaac. Third Isaac, the Lord said, the girl you're with, your girlfriend. I said, yes, Lord. She's a God-fearing woman, Lord. She's, he says, yeah, she's my daughter, but she's not your wife. <laughs> and I said, oh, Lord. And he, says, he said, I have somebody better for her, and I got somebody better for you. So break that up. So I broke that up. And he says, uh, fourth Isaac. I'm like, Lord, uh. <laughs> number four. And the Lord said, yeah, you're not to be a U.S. citizen. I said, Lord, I spent so much money on immigration lawyers. We're in this process. And the Lord says, no, you're not to be an, a, a U.S. citizen. Give that up. And so I had to call it off. And, and I said, Lord, why? And, and the Lord asked me a question. He said, are you going after the kingdom dream or the American dream? Are you going after the kingdom dream or the American dream? And I said, Lord, obviously you ask questions not because you lack knowledge. <laughs> you ask questions to position my heart. So, Lord, I probably got distracted somewhere, but I want to live the kingdom dream. And so the Lord said, so if you want to live the kingdom dream, this, this vision, this dream you have about this thing called dunamis, is not for North Carolina or the Triangle area, the Raleigh-Durham Chapel Hill. I want you to take it to Brazil. I said, Lord, Brazil? Brazil has mega churches. Brazil has so many Christians. Brazil has, you know, it's so evangelized. Why would I take it back to Brazil? I'd figure after laying down these Isaacs on the altar that you'd take me to the 1040 window. You know, the Muslim world, the Hindu world, the Buddhist world. But the Lord says, no, I want you to go to Brazil. I'm like, what, what am I going to do in Brazil? And the Lord started speaking to me about a revival in Brazil. This is 15 years ago. 
a revival in Brazil that would culminate into Reformation. Right? And so, so the, I had grown up in South America, very close to Colombia, to uh, Argentina. These are neighboring nations, and they had experienced revivals. But it, it didn't spill out into society. It was remaining inside the churches, mega churches. But w- what about the spheres of politics? What about the spheres of education? What about the spheres of business, the spheres of arts entertainment? What about the spheres of family? You know, and so the Lord was speaking to me, you know, about if Brazil could get this momentum, spiritual awakening, and actually make sure that it would go into the infrastructures of society. You could actually see Matthew 28, 19. I want you to make disciples of all, of all nations. See, I mean, I, I love the Great Commission, of, of course, because that's what we're called to do. But there's, we got to understand there's different perspectives to the Great Commission. You have the Mark 16 version where it says, make disciples of all people. And yes, that's the heart of God for everyone, every single person to come to know the Lord. That, that, that's the heart of God. But also the heart of God is Matthew 28, 19, make disciples of all nations. And when we're talking about making disciples of all nations, we're talking about something that is more than just you know, individuals. We're talking about spheres of society. We're talking about nations that actually reflect heaven on earth. It's Jesus's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in New York City as it is in heaven, right? In America as it is in heaven. And so, yes, for the mega churches, but Lord, I felt the Lord say, I want you to Believe for heaven on earth in your city, in Sao Paulo. Believe uh, heaven on earth in, in Brazil. And, and now the Lord has been opening up other nations for us to church plan. And I'm like, believe for heaven on earth in Spain and in, in Portugal and in Chile and in Ecuador. And, and, and believe for heaven on earth in these different places. So what, what does that look like? It, it looks like uh, whatever is happening here, because this is a kingdom embassy, spilling out to education. Spilling out to the families, spilling out to the business, the work, the, the marketplace. So that was why I moved back to Brazil. And the Lord would say, if you reach the universities today, you will conquer society tomorrow. Because, I mean, I was the guy that came in with faith, lost my faith in university, and regained my faith in university. It's such a formative, you know, Kairos uh, moment right there when people are open, open to experiencing new things. And so... Anyway, so the Lord took us back, and it's been 15 years on this journey. And, and one of the things that I've seen in this journey really is um, the Lord constantly surprising me, using, using me. <laughs> I'm like, you, you want to use me? I'm, I'm like, I'm a simple instrument. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning or this afternoon about the Lord, how he works through simple instruments like you and me. And uh, I see that in 2 Kings 4. So that's the text for this morning or today. If you could just open with me real quick to 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to read this, this very known ver, uh, text where the widow approaches the man of God, Elisha. Right? And Elisha is the one that carries the double portion of Elijah. And many will say that Elijah was a prophetic type of John the Baptist. And also people would understand that uh, Elisha would be a prophetic type of the Messiah anointing. So he's carrying the uh, Elijah opening and making way for Elisha. So when, when you read this text, just understand this is a woman in need, in desperation, approaching somebody that has the anointing to break her yoke. 
And, and, and when we're talking about the anointing, I think at times, even in, in Western Christianity, we've, we've come to be so casual with it. Because uh, you have to understand that this man is so anointed, but there was a reverence and there was a fear around what he carried. To the point that word got around that, hey, if you mock this man, he actually has anointing sufficiently to, to call bears to come in mall kids to actually mock this man so that, i mean that brought the fear of the lord so as she's having this dialogue she's not just having a casual dialogue as if somebody that bumped into each other in a coffee shop hey elisha you remember me it's not like that this this woman knows who this man is and so she approaches him understanding that this is a window of opportunity the lord has provided for her this is, this is something, like we say, a kairos moment. And, and, and verse 1 says that the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. So verse 1 is something that I, I want to focus for a bit. Because you see a timeline here. You see her mentioning the past. Right. So so she's a woman that was once married to a prophet. And this prophet was probably Elisha's spiritual son. And this prophet was probably one of the students in the school of the prophets that Elijah and Elisha had. And so they, they have history. They, they understand they're coming from the same tribe. And so she understands, hey, prophets aren't typical people. Prophets, they, they, they're very unique people. I'm, I'm not talking about prophetic people. Uh, a prophetic anointing. I'm talking about the office of the prophet. That's something different. The office of the prophet requires for you to make sacrifices that regular people don't. The office of the prophet requires you to be consecrated in a manner that regular people don't. And so she, she knows that he knows who her husband was. My husband made sacrifices. And when my husband made sacrifices, the whole family made sacrifices. And so, so we, we've, we've had a journey. Now, he's not here. And you know he's not here, but you know, you know who he was. So she's mentioning the past. And, and as she's mentioning the past, she's also mentioning the future. She's talking about her sons. Because there's probably things that, she, that her husband had sown in the spirit with the vision that her sons would live out the legacy and would actually partake of the fruit of something that he had sown in the past. Does that make sense? And, and a lot of times we're living out the fruit of things that we haven't even sown. I believe that we're constantly sowing in the spirit, but we're also partaking of the fruit of things that were sown in the spirit by people that aren't even here. Spiritual fathers and mothers and, 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 and people that have been used of the Lord in times past. And in faith, they're sowing in the spirit and, and, and we get to be so blessed to partake of the fruit right now in the present. Right? And so, so we're living with the hopes also that we're, been, we've, we're sowing for future generations. And, and, and that's what, that's what I, I feel from strongly from the Lord is, you know, um, even as I've been coming on a, in, and, in and out of America to speak in different places, it's, it's, I, I find some, some people a, a lot of times discouraged. And I'm like, you have to understand, you guys have revival history. You don't understand how many seeds are sown. All you need is a little bit of rain, a little bit of sun, and you will see a new move of God birth up in this nation. There are seeds of revival. There are wells of revival that need to be redug in this nation. So, so she understands what her husband did. She understands what that means for her future. 
for posterity. And now because of her understanding of the timeline of the past and the future, she can discern the times. Like Issachar, she discerns the time. This is the time for me to approach this man. This is the time for me to make a demand on the anointing. And so she makes a demand on the anointing. And because she's working, not in a very casual way of saying, hey, Elisha, maybe you can help me out. I'm in a bit of a pickle here. No, 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 no. She, she really understands the dynamic, spiritually speaking. And because she does that, Elisha replies to her, verse 2, how can I help you? See, the spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And spiritual people will discern the spiritual things. And he understood what's happening. He says, I need to help you. What can I do to help you? And then he goes on to ask her, tell me, what do you have in your house? And I love it how he's going to try to help her with this question. What do you have in your house? Because isn't it so spiritual and so kingdom that the Lord will always use something you have in your hands to perform the supernatural. Because you don't find it in biblical narrative, the Lord materializing things out of nothing. You feed them, he says to the disciples. We don't have money. You feed them. Do something. And so they're trying to scramble for something, and they come up with the lunchbox. Say, hey, we got, we got five loaves and two fish. He says, well, that's enough. This is what you got in your house. I'm going to use that. You know, another place in scripture is when, when they say, well, talk to him. He's going to fix your wine problem. Remember that? And then Jesus says, woman, it's not my time. And, and she's like, do whatever he tells you. So now he's got to act. How, what does he do? Does he materialize wine out of thin air? No, he says, go fill this with water. You don't have wine, but you got water. I can work with water. What do you have in your house? You don't have money to pay your creditors, but what you got in your house? You got something in your house. I'm going to work with whatever you got in your house. What do you have in your hands? I don't have the anointing. I don't have the giftings. I don't have the abilities. Well, what do you have? You got something. That's where he's going to start his work with your little something. And this is what she says, verse 3, or actually verse 2. She answers, your servant has Nothing. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said. She's looking at it. She says, nothing there at all. What do you have in your house? Nothing at all, she says. Except a small jar of olive oil. Except a small jar of olive oil. I was mentioning uh, first service that when I walked out of that room and stepped into this environment, I just immediately felt... Man, I'm home. This is my first time here. So excuse me if I feel too comfortable. But I checked in the hotel last night, right? And uh, I walked around because I just like to walk around. So I'm walking around and I'm like, I, I love the city. I've always loved New York City. I love the city. But you can tell, you, I mean, if you're, you know, and I can tell a lot of you are intercessors and prophetic people, you pick up stuff in the air. And you're walking around, and you, you pick up the good stuff, the bad stuff. You, you're picking stuff up, right? And so I'm like, that's awesome. But I go back to my room. I got to put some worship music on and pray in the spirit for a while. <laughs> so I could actually go sleep in peace. <laughs> I'm like, let me pray for in tongues for 30 minutes. <laughs> right? And so that's what I did last night. But then when I walked in here, I'm like, whoo, this is light. This is good. 
I like this. I like this, right? I feel like I'm at home. And when I'm at home, you know, what, what am I talking about? I'm talking about an atmosphere. I'm talking about an environment. You know, and I don't want to sound new agey, but I'm talking about a portal. Jacob's ladder. I had this crazy experience. Uh, um, last week, I was in Portugal and, and ministering, and, and uh, we were walking out of this powerful meeting, and there were people in the parking lot lined up for prayer, and people getting laying in the spirit in the, in the parking lot, and this Portuguese pastor comes to me and says, you know this is not usual for Portugal. I'm like, I don't know if it's usual in many places. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, people are slain in the parking lot. Right? And then I'm like, Lord, what is happening in this place? Right? And as I'm asking this, Lord, what is happening in this place? I look at the, our pastor for uh, Zion, Lisbon, and I said, and we, it came out at the same time in our words, Bethel. This is Bethel. It's the ladder. It's the ladder that touches heaven and touches earth. There's certain places in the world and certain places in the city where you will find Bethel. You will find portals. It's a place where there's an atmosphere, and she walks into that atmosphere, right? What happens when you walk into prophetic atmospheres? When you step into prophetic environments, your nothing at all becomes a little bit of oil. Hey, I got nothing at all. Boom, you come into a prophetic environment, and you're like, except a little bit of oil in a jar that I have back home. Now you start realizing that the little thing you have that you would consider nothing in a prophetic environment, catalytically, it becomes something. That's why you can't forsake moments like this, like Sundays where we get together as the body of Christ and, and we worship because there's something that happens here in the spirit. It catalyzes something in you. There, there are promises inside of you that when you come here, they just come alive. I tell you, but I, I like watching it online, and I'm all about online, too. We got online church. But I tell my people, online, you'll, you'll, there'll be times where you even get, you know, the, uh, a touch of God in your own home. But uh, there's something about you gathering with the people of God. And when you come together in, the, in, in this, this, you know, this fellowship of the saints, there's something. You walk into these prophetic environments, and it, boom, something comes alive. It accelerates you. Does that make sense? And, and, and she says, I have nothing except small jar of olive oil. It's like you, be, you begin saying nothing. Boom, you step in there like, ah, oh, small jar of oil. Maybe you can do something with a small jar of oil. And the prophet says, go around, verse three, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the, all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is no jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. You know, I just want to point out really quick a few lessons that I see from this uh, known story of the supernatural number one is faith and I, I really feel there's a deposit of faith for us this morning that we would draw on the lord in the spirit realm for a fresh impartation of faith but one of the things about faith is faith or our faith is born in dangerous places and, and, and of course we don't like that our natural self doesn't like that 
But it's in desperate times that we see faith is born. It's in hard places that we see faith is born. And that's why God loves the hard places. Because it's the, the desperate seasons in our life. Not short term, but long term that become our biggest blessings. Short term, let's be honest, we're humans. Of course, we feel the pain, we feel the pressure, we feel the desperation, we don't like that, it's uncomfortable, but long term, if, you, if you've gone through desperate, different seasons in your life and you, you take a look back after you've been through that season, you understand that those seasons took you to the feet of Jesus. Those seasons brought you closer to the Lord. Those seasons made you realize there's a fresh faith that was birthed in you because of those seasons. And, and, and they become our biggest blessings as they draw us closer to God. And, and a lot of times the Lord and his sovereignty will allow for tough times to bring something out of us. You know, I was, I was reminded of um, the nation of Israel. And biblical Israel begins with Abraham in Genesis 12 as the Lord calls Abram out of his, his household. And he, he has a covenant with him, the Abrahamic covenant. He says, hey, I'm going to go, you know, leave wherever you're at. Leave your parents' household. I'm going to take you to a land. Where, Lord? I'll show you. Just, just go. I'll show you. And the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham. And, and the covenant, primarily three points. First, I'll give you a next generation, posterity. I'll give you a new generation. You will have heirs. Number two, I'll give you land, geographic land. I'll give you a place where you'll be called, this is our country, this is our land. And number three, you will be a blessing to the nations. You will be a nation that will be the means to which I will bless the nations. That's, that's the, the covenant the Lord makes with Abram. Now, we all know the story. Abram uh, has then Isaac, and then Isaac has then Jacob, and then Jacob has the 12 and then the 12 become the tribes and you got Joseph and you got Joseph, the whole story about Joseph and how he blessed the world and the world was in a famine and now Pharaoh's so grateful and now he's telling Joseph, bring your whole family over here. And then when all of, you know, dozens of these Hebrews come with Joseph, the Pharaoh asks him, well, what do you guys do? Oh, we're shepherds. So you guys can go to the Delta. And the Delta is the most fertile place in Egypt. And so they're gardening there. They're, they're tending sheep. They're multiplying. They're creating wealth. They're growing. They have kids, and their kids have more kids, and their kids have more and more and more kids. Now, they're, they're very populous. They're, you know, two million deep, maybe three million deep. And suddenly, Pharaoh looks at these people and says, hey, this is dangerous. These people are a threat. Now, check this out. They were multiplying and yet not living the promises of God. God gave Abram promises that they weren't living even though they were multiplying and bearing fruit. And the Lord says, and Pharaoh looks at them and says, you know, I'm going to start oppressing you. Basically, that's what happened. And they go into hard times. And as they go to hard times, guess what happens? Faith is born. Faith for deliverance. Faith for the deliverer of Israel to come. Who's going to come and take us out of here? And I, I can imagine the Lord thinking, I know you guys are multiplying. I know you guys are big and numerous, but you're still not living the promises that I had separated and laid out for you to live. And so I will allow for hard times. 
and his sovereignties. Hard times become then the place of desperation where faith is born. And because of the faith that's being born, the cry then is heard. And because the cry is heard, there's an intervention that happens. So I, I love the fact that, yes, we don't want to go through desperate times. But this lady is going through desperation. And her faith is there. Faith is being born in her desperation. Maybe you can help me, man of God. They're about to take my sons. Can you do something? She's got faith. Now, the second thing that I learned in this, in this uh, story is that her math is not God's math. And my math is not God's math. Isn't that awesome? Because her math is nothing. What do you got? Nothing. What do you got? Zilch. All right, we can work with whatever you got. I got zilch, except a little bit of oil. That's it. What do you got in your house? Right, when you go to the, the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, you know the story. The master has three servants. One gets five talents. The other gets two talents. Third one gets one talent. Third one, bad servant, digs a hole, hides a talent. Remember that? Yeah. Right? So first, first servant, though, five talents, and the Lord right now is doing, you know, accountability. All right, so, so what do you got? He goes, you gave me five. I'm bringing you back five more. What does he say? Good and faithful servant. Over little you have been faithful. Over much I will place you. Does that make sense? Over little you have been faithful. Over much I will place you. Now he goes to the second one. He says, what did you do with the two talents? He says, well, you gave me two. I multiplied it to four. Now I got, you know, two more, four. And he says, well, good and faithful servant. Over little you have been faithful i'll place you over much right there the lord started speaking to me how can four be much when five was little because the lord says to the first servant over little you have been faithful i'll place you over much and the lord started speaking to me about comparison see the lord wants to get get rid of comparison in our hearts because if you can't honor what God has placed in your house, because honor will, will catalyze what you have. The little bit of, of oil that you have, if you can honor that. I mean, it, it, I'll give you this example. The other day, uh, a few, few months ago, I was, you know, doing my devotions in the morning, having my time with the Lord. And um, most of the time when I have my time with the Lord, initially, I don't, I don't want to read the Bible, but I read it anyways, right? Uh, and a lot of times, it's not like I'm, oh, I got to pray i'm gonna start praying you start praying then suddenly you know it starts oiling up and then boom and you have but i i just had one of those mornings some of those mornings you just, it's just butter have you had those mornings it's just butter it's just like boom it's like you wake up bro you open the word first verse revelation i could do a series right here boom 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 i had one of those mornings maybe i don't know five six months ago I had one of those mornings. It was an amazing morning, right? And so I had my devotions. I was set, took a bunch of notes, prayed in the spirit. I had, I mean, I, it was everything. I went through all my prayer list and everything. And so I go to the kitchen to have some coffee. I'm making myself some coffee. And I got a little, you know, a few more minutes before I have to jet out the house. And so as I'm drinking my coffee, what do I do? Something stupid. I pull out my phone. And I go on social media, right? And so I'm, I just had an amazing morning with the Lord. Fresh revelation, amazing time in the presence. Boom, and then I'm going down the feed. Boom, boom, boom. 
Instagram feed and suddenly, oh, my buddy who's a successful pastor. And I'm like, wow, they just had their conference. Oh, the conference looks amazing. Look at that production. Oh, my gosh. They had him come out and speak? They had her come out and speak? Bro, isn't this the pro athlete? What is he doing there? What's my buddy doing with these soccer players? What? Celebrities? And suddenly I'm thinking, I don't have anything in my house. I don't, have, I don't, I don't think except, I don't think I have much. Right? And the Lord started saying, that's where you got to repent. Because comparisons just stole the joy of what we just had. Right, so, so when, I, when I leave that prophetic environment, I go back to my old math. This is little. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 this is much. Yeah. If you could just keep yourself in this environment. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you could just keep yourself here and not compare. Don't compare because I gave him five. That's good. I gave you two. I'm going to hold you accountable for the multiplication and faithfulness over what I place in your hands. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? And so this, this lady, the widow, I mean, she's, she's having to look inside her house. And then she says, well, I have except a small jar of olive oil. And he goes, verse 3, the prophet says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. You know, I, I, I remember uh, just recently talking to my spiritual father, and he says he was out there visiting with us, and he was speaking to some of the conferences, and he's like, y'all, take me, take me to, we, we're, we've, uh, the Lord gave us a, a farm, a, a big 1,500-acre farm where we're building a university in Brazil. It'll be the first spirit-filled uh, academic, you know, excellence uh, university in Brazil, Christian university in Brazil. And um, as he's looking at it, he says, wow. And this is what he turned to me. He says, he says this, if you continue to pray intensely as if you had nothing, God will continue to use you. Keep your heart as if you have nothing in the house and all you have is desperation for the Lord to use you. Because if you start getting, you know, distracted with everything that the Lord's blessed you, like I was getting distracted with everything the Lord's blessed my neighbors, you won't realize what I've been doing in your life. Does that make sense? And so this, this woman is, is learning that her math is not God's math. And, and, and bottom line is the Lord, who's all-powerful, loves to use simple instruments. Today, you have a simple instrument here talking to you. And maybe you're feeling like you're a simple instrument, but let me say something. The Lord loves to use us. The Lord loves to use people that come with nothing because out of that nothing, he can make something. And I'm reminded of this text of 1 Corinthians 1. If you can just open with me this, this verse of 1 Corinthians 1. Apostle Paul says, verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. So right there, Whenever I'm foolish or feel foolish, this right here gives me hope. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those, those things which are mighty. Right there, when I feel weak, I have hope. Verse 28, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. 
Now, I, I, I know you know this verse, but, but check this out. At times you're thinking, why do you need to take me to a place of where I feel and I am aware of my foolishness to use me? Lord, why, how many here love miracles? You love miracles. Okay, all right. Everybody, right? But I'll tell you what you don't love. You don't love the last 10 seconds before the miracle comes. <laughs> right? I love healing. Well, you don't like the last 10 seconds before the healing came. Because you're probably in the most desperate state. I'm feeling weak. I love supernatural provision. Yeah. But 10 seconds before you get that email. Right? 10 seconds before you pull out your phone and you see somebody actually made a transaction. 10 seconds before. You don't like that. Because it reminds how weak you are. It reminds how foolish you are, how desperate you are. It reminds you how needy you are. And I'm like, Lord, why does it have to be this way? And the answer is verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. What is the Lord after? What is the Lord after? Well, he's after a lot of things. But I'll tell you, one of the things he's after is glory. He's after glory. And when he sees somebody who's an empty vessel, let's say, I'm an empty vessel. I got nothing but a little bit of oil. He says, all right, well, I can use you because when I use you, people around you will say, what? It has to be God. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. Then God gets the glory. Yes. I mean, if he used the smartest person in the room, they're like, yeah, he's just smart. <laughs> use the wealthy person. Because, oh, you know, he's... He came out of money. Well, but when the Lord uses simple instruments like us, it's that no man should glory. What is he after? He's after glory. What took Lucifer out? He tried to go for the glory that wasn't his. God holds glory, his glory, in a very tight place in his heart. So, Lord, if, if my simplicity could add to your glory, use me. Use me for your glory. Does that make sense? And so when you start understanding how the Lord works, you know, uh, um, she starts understanding that she, she's the, the ideal candidate for a supernatural provision. She didn't realize that. But once she got close to the anointing, wow, except a little bit of jar, uh, oil in my jar. Third thing that I understand in, in the story is the man of God tells her to borrow empty vessels. And he says, go, go and just get as many as you can and so verse verse six when all the jars were full a lot of them so her kids went all across the neighborhood going out the jars 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 empty vessels empty vessels emptiness and so when they when they bring it home verse six when all the jars were full she said to her son bring me another one but he replied there is not a jar left then the oil stopped flowing now, see, see, the text suggests to us that if there was another jar, there'd be a little bit more oil. And if there was another jar, there could be another oil. That the ideal original design of what's happening here would be unending flow as long as there are empty jars. That's what the text is suggesting. And, and, and when she finally comes to a point where there is no empty jars, the oil stops. And what the Lord starts speaking to me here is the Lord needs space. Make room for God. 
Lord, I, wanna, I, I, got, I got nothing in the house except a little bit of, of oil in my jar. And the Lord says, okay, we're going to work with that. But make sure you give me room. Yeah. What, what do you mean, Lord? Go after empty jars. What are empty jars? People that, that find themselves like you with nothing. Hey, I don't have much, but what, what do you got? I got nothing. No, I'm going to help you. Come here. I'm going to get the little bit I have and put it in your nothing. What about you? Oh, I got nothing. I'll come here. I got to get the little bit I have and I'll put it in your nothing. Can I get another vessel? Oh, you, you come here. I'll get you a little bit of nothing that I have and put it in your nothing. And the Lord says, if you will focus on the empty jars in your neighborhood, if you will focus in the empty jars in your city, if you will focus in the empty jars in the sphere that I've put you to be my ambassador, although you may think you got nothing, I will do something with your nothing. And I will do something with your nothing to the point that you will fill other people's emptiness. Does that make sense? And the Lord starts telling me, it's not about you. Look at the need of people around you. Look at the need of, of, of where you're at and, and, and people that are suffering in the city where you I placed you back in there. If you could salt, do something about them. Serve them, and I'll figure out what's going on in your house. And as he's figuring stuff out in my house and he's making that flow increase, I start realizing that the Lord is actually working in me and through me. You know, you may not even feel the oil, but it's there. It's not by feelings. Right? It's by faith. So, so many times, I don't feel anointed, but I know it's there. I don't feel I got the answer, Lord. I don't feel like I'm wise, but your word says, if I ask for wisdom, you'll give it to me. So, Lord, I ask for wisdom. I don't feel gifted, but it's there. I don't feel like I have the talent, but it's there. Lord, you will do something with my nothing. And so, to this morning, as we wrap up, I just felt the Lord say that he wants to really do something with our nothings. And that if we would come before him, say, Lord, I got nothing except a little bit of oil in this jar. Will you do something? And his response will be, go find empty vessels. Focus on empty people. And if you will pour yourself into empty people. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.